1: It's the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the faculty chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi again, Alan. Good evening, Fred. Good evening. This week joining us is Jack Stewart, senior writer at Wired, covering the future of transportation. Really appreciate you being here with us, Jack.
2: It's good to be here. Thank you. Great having you, Jack.
1: And we're going to jump right into one of your latest articles published with the headline, Why People Keep Rear-Ending Self-Driving Cars. Jack, (laughs) great job here. You took a look at uh, crash reports involving self-driving vehicles and found, looks like, a couple of patterns. Tell us about it.
0: Yeah, so I looked at the uh, reports that are filed in California. The thing with uh, these autonomous vehicle tests at the moment is they're happening on public roads, but we the public don't get an awful lot of insight into how they're going beyond the sort of odd anecdotal report. The one state that does require reporting of all accidents or collisions is California. And the DMV in California, where I am, um, asks these companies every time there's even the slightest little incident with their cars, to file a report. And um, so I went back through the reports for this year, which made quite interesting reading They're the sort of things, most of the collisions are really very minor, the types of things that wouldn't make, a, you know, a, a national crash statistic. But I started to sort of see patterns when I was just looking through them, and it seemed like these cars were being rear-ended an awful lot. And then I started wondering, well, you know, when I've been on the roads and I've seen these things driving or I've been behind them, I have noticed that sometimes they're a little bit hesitant, or maybe they're just not behaving quite like a human does. So I... Plugged all these numbers into a spreadsheet and had a look and it's still difficult to be absolutely conclusive because we don't have all the data here you know there's just the, the very sparse details that they give to the dmv but it does look like when these cars do have crashes they are most frequently rear-ended that's 57 percent of the collisions that i looked at were rear-end crashes and of those the majority happen when the car is in autonomous mode. So 22 happened this year when the car was in autonomous mode. Only six happened when the car was in manual mode, so when the the safety driver at the wheel was actually driving. So that seems to indicate that they're rear-ended more when the computer is in control. I still don't have numbers on... um, how much of the time these cars are in autonomous mode. It could just be that they're almost always in autonomous mode and that human is hardly ever driving. So, of course, they're going to have more collisions of all types in autonomous mode. But it's sort of beginning to paint a picture that maybe these cars aren't behaving in in quite the way that other human drivers on the road might expect.
1: And those are some of the potential reasons for, for these patterns as you go into in the article
0: yeah so you know there there are a, a sort of one or two lines of explanation in um, each of these crash reports that the companies have to type up, and the rest is just check boxes, so you don't get an awful lot of detail from those. But for instance, I'm looking at one right now that says a Waymo autonomous vehicle in autonomous mode was rear-ended while it was traveling northwest on Middlesfields Road at Oregon Expressway and Palo Alto. The Waymo AV was approaching the right only turn lane and had come to a stop prior to the turn in reaction to a third vehicle passing on its left, potentially entering into its lane. The vehicle traveling behind collided with the Waymo AV at approximately 13 miles an hour. So the Waymo car... Had come to a complete stop in a right turn lane because it perceived that maybe a vehicle to its left might cut across it. So, probably safe to stop. Probably a good thing to stop. But whether a human driver would have done that, I don't know. And whether the car behind that actually hit the Waymo vehicle expected it to do that, I don't know. Um, and. One of the companies I talked to was Cruise. Um, General Motors uh, now owns Cruise and is doing a lot of research in San Francisco. And uh, they did say that their vehicles are in autonomous mode most of the time. And when they are, they're programmed to obey every law to the letter of the law. So they will come to complete stops at four-way intersections. They will stop if there's a pedestrian crossing the street, even if they're miles off. Uh, Well, not miles, but, you know, safely in the distance and a car could squeeze through and a human driver in downtown San Francisco probably would squeeze through the pedestrians, a cruise autonomous vehicle will not. So they're obeying the law. Um, they're probably driving predictably because what they're doing is repeatable. They're just not driving quite like you would expect a human to drive. So then we get into this idea of, well, do we need to give humans a little bit of advice on how to drive when they're near these vehicles to prevent these collisions from happening?
1: I guess that's the question. Do we need to learn or do these cars need to learn?
0: It's really interesting, isn't it? Because it's, yeah, it's this giant experiment in uh, computers, robotics, and artificial intelligence that is playing out on public streets. And at the moment, it's relatively limited. If you live outside of San Francisco, uh, Palo Alto, so Silicon Valley, or the areas around Phoenix, you've probably never encountered one of these. But if these companies roll out, you know, as quickly as they seem to want to then you could encounter one quite soon and the public is never given any level of informed consent to be interacting with this giant experiment that's going on um, and that's perhaps a conversation we need to have at a societal level certainly at a kind of a legislative level uh, in the shorter term the advice is give these things loads of room expect them to behave like a learner driver would expect them to be you know, a little bit perhaps herky-jerky some of them to certainly come to complete stops, obey the laws. The more distance you give yourself between you and any one of these autonomous vehicles, the more time you'll have to react
2: to anything that it does.
1: Alan I know you've got lots to say here come on
2: <laughs> <laughs> Well of course I have lots to say but uh yes uh Jack I I it's very nice that uh, that you did the analysis and put it out there um uh, to a wide readership because I think it's very important um these vehicles um, look different than other vehicles, so people should be aware that, in fact, uh, it's not your normal uh, Prius in front of you or whatever, or your uh, <clears throat> normal um, um, uh, minivan. Uh, but uh, I've, I've suggested that maybe they should even have a sign uh, on their back saying, um, you know, this vehicle obeys all traffic laws. Uh, you should too and yeah. <laughs> uh, and put it there um uh, to to stop some of this I, I guess you know that's one comment uh the other comment uh i think points to to the lack of technology in these cars that are rear ending um, you mean that the uh, OEMs haven't been able to put automate, automated emergency braking systems that keep these cars from rear-ending other cars at 13 miles an hour? Um, uh, come on, um, uh, you know, car companies. You um, uh, uh, improve your game on this one a little bit uh in a sense uh, none of these cars should be colliding with any car in a rear end uh, in a rear end situations and certainly not at low speed when it's uh, when it's obvious to the system uh that, that there's a vehicle that's that wasn't that's in front of it and it's a moving vehicle and it's not something that it's uh Uh, that it thinks might be um, uh, an overhead sign or something. So they they don't even have an excuse there for those systems not working. Um, The other one is, I think you sort of pointed it out uh, with respect to the rates uh, at which the the systems are on or off. um, It is probably the case that uh, most of the time that these systems are out there driving around, they are, uh, in in automated mode and and not in uh in uh, human driving mode and then if you go to the the statistics that are out there with respect to rear ends enders uh there's something like 1.7 million of them per year in the United States although um that 1.7 million probably doesn't include the 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 really um um, uh, slow rear-enders uh, that maybe go unreported uh, in that 1.7 million. So the 1.7 million number may in fact be be a low number for the national number. And there are about 3 trillion vehicle miles traveled. So that suggests that there are about, um, you know, of the variety that are reported, about one every uh, 2 million miles, give or take. Uh, but, you know, just the, that ratio is not really uh, that relevant because uh, much of the vehicle miles are uh, the tr- three trillion are are consumed at uh, relatively high speeds, meaning, you know, over 25 miles an hour, uh, not in local areas.
1: Jack, let me ask you to to Alan's point uh, that uh, maybe signage on these autonomous vehicles would be a good idea. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I actually did my driving test in the UK. And the whole time as a provisional driver that I was on the roads, I had to go out with this big red L on a white background on this magnetic sticker and put one on the front and one on the back of the car. And that notified all the other road users around me, no matter what vehicle I was driving, that I was a learner driver. And other countries in Europe do the same. Here in the States, I've seen trucks with, you know, um, caution on right turns or this truck stops at railroads. So things like that could help in the short term. I think longer term, though, there's a really interesting question. We have to figure out how autonomous vehicles are going to communicate with people in general. I mean, if these things are operating as kind of autonomous taxis, what happens when they pull up and want to say hi and, and whose car they are? You know, do they have some sort of display that shows their name, the, the person they're collecting? And what about when they're at a, a, a pedestrian crossing and they want to say to the pedestrian, I've seen you, start crossing. And, you know, some people have proposed a kind of a flashing light across the windscreen that would somehow indicate that, yeah, it's safe to cross now. I'm You know, I've perceived you. So there are ways, I think, that, we could see bigger changes to vehicles. And and some of these companies are starting to think
2: about
1: these now. Alan, your thoughts about that? I mean, we, 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 we had uh, talked once about uh, the idea of, uh, of displays that are kind of like eyeballs that would make eye contact with pedestrians on vehicles.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's a great idea. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. There, there are all sorts of opportunities to do that. And I think it has to be done visually as opposed to, requiring everybody to carry some gizmo that's going to carry some sort of who knows what electronic communication i think it has to be able to 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 be able to uh, uh communicate sort of the way we communicate but instead of using hand gestures or winks it has some other mechanism and i think we can do that jack you're absolutely right we, there are signs behind buses and so on that say these things uh, stop at at at, at railroad crossings. Plus, I think what we're going to have to do is take a look at our traffic laws and see if, see if uh, they don't need to be modified because the laws were written for humans to consume, recognizing that humans are going to game them and they aren't right. going to follow them to a precision. So, uh, you know, is the speed limit the speed limit or is it 4 plus or 9 plus or 14 plus? what is it? And I think it's, you know, people need to let us really um, need to stop at a stop sign if there's nobody coming. Uh, What is the purpose of stopping at a stop sign? It's certainly not to stop. It's to see whether or not uh, you can proceed. Uh, Once you're able to do that, um, uh, why not uh, permit the uh, one to proceed, as opposed to have a having a policeman saying, "Oh, your wheel was turning, therefore here's a fine." Um, uh, so I think we're going to have to we're going to have to revisit a lot of these things, um, um, and n- now's a good time to do it because we're at the very beginning.
1: Jack, you've got another interesting uh, new article uh, out titled drivers wildly overestimate what semi-autonomous cars can do Uh, this comes from some work done by a a european car safety assessment group
0: yeah this is sort of where autonomous vehicles get really interesting for me because they're sort of developing along two paths and we've got the full autonomy companies the likes of waymo and cruise that are determined to remove the steering wheel and pedals from the cars altogether and put these things out on the road as driverless taxis and then the car companies want a bit of this they want some of this space i think it's probably a great sales tool so they're selling vehicles with what they're calling autonomous features or maybe at best semi-autonomous features and what some safety groups are saying to me is that they are really not autonomous features there there's some level of automation you know their convenience features their driver assistance features but the way that they're being marketed is really beginning to confuse people into thinking that they actually either can buy self-driving cars now or actually some of them, according to this new survey, appear to think they already have self-driving cars. This was a survey done by uh, Euro NCAP, the European Safety Body that's similar to the IIHS. IIHS can't say that properly here in the US. Um, and they surveyed over 1,500 car owners in seven countries And something like 11% of them said they would be happy to either take a nap or read a newspaper or watch a movie, even with the level of sort of highway assistance features that we see today, the likes of uh, Tesla's autopilot. Um, And they are concerned that some of these systems are so capable seeming that drivers are being kind of lulled into this sense of uh, complacency that their cars are to some extent self-driving, to some extent autonomous. And
1: actually, they're really not. Alan, I guess the appropriate response would be "yikes" or something along those lines.
2: Yes, the appropriate response is "yikes," and and uh, Jack, it's very nice that uh, that you're making those comments. Uh, look, there are three different businesses here that uh, everybody is putting together into one. Uh, the one business is, is to have safety, and the safety is to have uh, automated systems that basically keep you from making mistakes. And it has nothing to do with you taking your hands off the wheel or feet off the off the gas or brakes. It, it just has watching over you, and whenever you goof up, it takes over. we've had these things with respect to analog brakes for years. we've had it with uh, with um, uh, stability control uh, now we should have it with automated emergency braking and lane keeping and all the other things uh, but it has nothing to do with uh, with autonomy or having the vehicle think for itself or anything like that, it's just basically smart enough and paying attention when you're not, and keeping you from from crashing. And then the other is, uh, that says, okay, well these things are so good, we're going to let you take your hands off the off the off the wheel and feet off the pedal, and we're going to give you. Uh, convenience and relaxation it should be sold as convenience and relaxation and it should be sold very much in a way to say hey this only works some of the time uh it, it, it needs that supervision uh and you can't just go out there otherwise you'll die okay so you have a choice what do you want to do? Die? And worst of all, you're going to kill people. So my goodness, uh, uh, grow up and, 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 and pay attention. And then there's the other one that's trying to provide mobility. That's actually you know, uh, doing the, the, the heavy lifting uh, so that, in fact, it, you know, the probability of a crash is extremely small. It, it is able to take you from the watering hole to uh, your home and um and as long as that's within the geofenced area that the that the vehicle has been certified and and knows that it will work over roads over which it knows uh, that uh, what to do and and, the, and they make sure that it's safe and that's really where the where the waymo and and gm crews are working but but to think that what they're doing is what uh, is even what Tesla's doing or which may be, you know they may be some they're way distant away from what Waymo and 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 GM Cruise are doing, um, but they might be indicating that they're going that way maybe. But they're so far away, the rest of them aren't even close. And I think the results uh, coming out of uh, both IIHS and uh, <clears throat> Euro NCAP. Really show the fact. I mean, these those cars don't even have automated emergency braking that works. Uh, you know, the, the the Uber vehicle that killed Elaine Herzberg, it had turned off its automated emergency braking system. I mean, you know, come on. Uh, those 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 things can maybe give you some comfort and convenience as long as you're paying attention but they should not be promoted as something oh my goodness that hey you can go watch a movie um, whatever
0: when car companies are calling these semi autonomous is that overselling them even just
2: using that word do you think absolutely it's overselling it's semi-autonomous. it semi autonomous means they're not autonomous <laughs> that means you can't you can't not not pay attention okay and, and- so you know they've they've gone out there and and then they want to sell it as safety those things aren't safer you know the safer thing is for those systems to be working while you have your hands on the wheel and and uh, feet on the pedals and paying attention and then you know in case you pick your nose or something uh uh they'll bail you out uh, but- in their in their rush to the to this, to this sales part, the the Madison Avenue approach to this, it's uh, it's it's really unfortunate. And then to have Volvo come out and you know and show you a picture of somebody you know in a cocoon sleeping on their way, which is their you know E three hundred and sixty or whatever they call it. Oh my goodness! And even for Elon to to go out there and even suggest uh, that, that this might be able to, uh, uh, to take you, um, home from dinner, uh, when you've had adult beverages, come on, you can't do that. Um, you're going to kill people.
1: So what's the best way for the, for the technology that exists now to be marketed, to sold, to be sold to consumers? What should they be saying?
2: I think they should well, sell the safety piece. I that's what I think. I think they should make it so that they 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 don't uh, uh, collide uh, with the vehicle in front of it. They don't run into to Um, uh, fire trucks or something else that's parked in the lane ahead of them and just because the car in front of it happened to see it and then change lanes uh, their technology isn't smart enough uh, to be able to determine oh my goodness that's not an overhead sign it's actually a fire truck that's stopped in the lane ahead uh, that I'm going to hit at 70 miles an hour I mean you know come on Jack?
0: Yeah, what these safety groups were saying to me is that they want to see them marketed more as um, assistance devices that work in cooperation with a driver. And that's where they start to see some differences between the systems. So Tesla's autopilot, for example, you turn it on and you can take your feet off the pedals and you can take your hands off the wheel and that car will continue to steer and stay within its lane. And in fact, if you want to add a bit of input in as a human driver to, say, swerve around a pothole, it actually knocks the auto steer version sort of element of autopilot off and then you have to re-engage it. Some of the other systems like uh, Volvo's, for example, uh, you, the the driver, can take over the steering, add in a little bit more steering input, swerve around that pothole and then the system takes on again and and sort of picks up and and helps you out and it's kind of more of a cooperative system and The safety groups see that as a better way of keeping the driver engaged and focused and paying attention rather than lulling them into this sense of complacency uh, where then, you know, it's just natural our attention as humans does begin to wander.
2: Well, you know, I I I hear that argument. I guess I I don't understand it. I think I think that if you if you all of a sudden over over um, uh ride the steering, then it should turn the steering off. Uh the way that that uh, that intelligent cruise control is programmed is absolutely goofy. Uh if I touch my brake in my intelligent uh uh cruise control it turns it off in other words it doesn't it doesn't take the, the the my touching of the brake meaning i want to stop accelerating therefore turn off the acceleration function but please don't turn off the braking function in case i have not hit the brakes hard enough please keep that on but no, uh, they, they just took the extension, and, and this is, this is this, the Society of Automotive Engineers that have made them do that. They, they, they said that with stupid cruise control, which is you know, the cruise control that only uh, activated the, the throttle and not the brake, if you touch the brake, it turned the system off. Well, no, it turned the acceleration off. Just because acceleration was the only thing that was automated, would of course turn the system off. But now they they just extended that. You touch the brake, and it turns the system off. It turns off the braking function. Oh my goodness! You know how can you how can you design this this way? Uh, I can't imagine that that uh, GM Cruise or Waymo have their systems designed with that kind of uh, i'll call it stupidity yeah i would agree you can
0: override the acceleration function by adding in a bit of ex- extra accelerator and the car will speed up and then you take your foot off the accelerator and it goes back to whatever the cruise control was set to it absolutely moves, right, right. One, for some absolutely. reason disengages everything
2: um, i, I because, mean look, say, I, a I, I, way of i've been complaining about this for years now and 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 it's it's just it's goofy it it's just wrong you know i i approach uh, i i have my intelligent cruise control on and uh, on route 1 here in in new jersey following traffic it's doing a good job but then the traffic stops ahead because of a traffic light or something and and so therefore i i tap the brake because maybe i'm 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 more conservative than the system and what it does is not turns it off and, and, and so if I don't continue to push on the brake and come to rest, I'm going to slam into the back of, the, of, the, of, the, of the, uh, the, the line of traffic. I mean,
0: whatever. None of them are standardized, and it takes me the first few miles just to figure out how to turn them on and off
2: right and, and and you don't know how they function you you don't know where when they're good when they're not good. I guess we should read all the manuals because it is it is in the manuals because the lawyers have made a book that put it in the manuals, but oh my goodness, now I have to refresh it. Good thing I take Uber and Lyft these days and don't rent cars anymore i, I be able to ride, you know, how can you, how can you drive a Hertz rental car now? You have no idea, whatever.
1: Well, anyway. on that subject, Alan, uh, Lyft is now offering an all access subscription plan nationwide. This is $299, gets you 30 rides that would cost up to $15 a piece. So there's a big discount there and 5% off additional rides. How does this fit in, Alan, with, with your vision of the, of the future of transportation?
2: I, I think it's great that Lyft is trying some different pricing mechanisms and so on in preparation of us having autonomous taxis out there and being able to take the, the driver out of that. <clears throat> I guess, you know, Lyft is preparing itself for its IPO. And we know that uh, when you do IPOs, it has nothing to do with profitability. It has to do with the uh, the size of the market that you have. So what they're doing is trying to increase the size of their market. I hope they're not uh, taking this out of the the driver pay and, and, uh, and um, what a, uh, a Lyft driver can earn. Uh, So poor folks uh, need that to to feed their families. But uh, uh, it's interesting. Uh, Just think what you could do if you had, if you had driverless uh, crews or or Waymo vehicles to provide that mobility out there on a shared uh, ride basis. I mean, as, as as we're trying to do here in Central Jersey, we want to deliver this uh, to the uh, most uh, mobility disadvantaged and really improve their quality of life.
1: Jack, what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I, th- I mean, th-
0: this is the way that I would hope the future of transport in cities goes, that people have subscription services and and maybe these companies need to to come together and make it so my subscription will also transfer to you know, some sort of zip car type model where if I want to drive myself and I'm going further, I can do that or I can rent a car for the weekend or I can have a robotic car come and pick me up or like we're seeing them, you know, join forces and buy out a scooter and bike companies. Maybe sometimes I just want to pop out of the subway and, and get on a bike. Um, what I would love to see is all of these services come together so I can do that with one account and one smart card or one app on my phone or whatever it is and, and sort of not have to switch around between all these things.
2: Well, I, I want to not only do that there, but I want to do that in the transit deserts, which is really most of the country, uh, and serve the, uh, uh, the uh, 80% or 90% of the trips uh, that, uh, that, are, that have no hope of being served by any of those mass transit systems and really uh, afford uh, a, a on-demand, uh, almost door-to-door mobility uh, to everyone.
1: You mentioned right. you mentioned the the Lyft uh, IPO. There have been reports that Uber is seeking in investors to take a stake in its autonomous vehicle unit, and that would be ahead of an IPO plan there as well.
2: All right, I guess you know, Goldmine Sachs is out there <laughs> trying to get them. So, um, yeah, one hundred twenty billion. Uh, they better get their automated vehicle systems working. Um, they're going to be worth that much. Whatever.
1: Well, we can't wrap up a podcast without talking a little bit more about Waymo. It has now published guidelines for police and first responders to follow in the event an autonomous vehicle is involved in an accident. I rear-ended or not. Uh, those authorities need to know how to get the car door open and deactivate the vehicle. And Waymo is providing, I guess, a, a 24-hour toll-free hotline. Jack, uh, let me let me get your comments on that, on that first of all.
0: Yeah, I think some of this is in response to what some regulators, I think particularly California, had been asking for. Uh, because you can imagine if these, if they're going to allow cars with no drivers at all out onto the streets, then what happens when this car does not come to a complete stop or whatever? And a, a policeman pulls it over, walks up to the driver's window, and there's nobody inside. Who hands them some registration? How does that work? So. One of the requirements was that these companies would have to have some sort of centralized call center that would be monitoring all of their vehicles, their fleet, able to then speak human to human to uh, somebody like a law enforcement officer. Um, It makes sense. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier about how we communicate with these vehicles. They're going to be huge, great, giant robots rolling around on our roads at high speeds, and we need to figure out how we're going to talk to them.
1: And I guess, Alan, uh, Alan, wouldn't uh, it make sense if there's some kind of standard? I mean, if Waymo put out guidelines, doesn't there m- need to be a standard that w- everyone else would adapt as well?
2: Well, I think, it, it. you know, at some point we get to the standard. We're still at absolute zero, as I say. You know, we're like about 0.1 degrees Kelvin. Uh, in terms of of where we are, so uh, we have to try a number of things, and and I think a standard will, will evolve. In the beginning, there aren't too many of these, and it's you know it's it's not a big deal. They're 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 essentially you know they're two places or so. Uh, but yes, uh, first responders are going to need to know what to do. Uh, Tesla's faced this issue with respect to the. To the uh, batteries and Tesla and and so on. So the electric had have had to deal with it. So yes, uh, absolutely. But setting up a, a a 24-hour line to be able to deal with these things, uh, of course, and probably somebody like AAA and tow trucks and so on are going to be are going to have to be made available to basically hook these things and flatbed them and take them back and and fix them and all those various other things. So, uh, yes, uh, all part of the process of uh, getting these things uh, to market. And, again, we're we're still at the very, very beginning. uh, But uh, we'll we'll work out all those
1: things. Interesting. And, of course, we'll need one more A in there for AAA for autonomous as well, I guess.
2: Yeah, right. (laughs) I couldn't in the, in, in the yellow pages, it will be even farther up on the list. Oh, my goodness.
1: <laughs> well, that is it for this edition. We want to thank a Wired senior writer, Jack Stewart, for joining us. Jack, thank you so much. We look forward to reading much more from you and hope you'll hop on again with us.
0: Yeah, thank you. I've enjoyed it. Uh, thank you, Jack.
1: You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com and on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and more. My tech reports are at techstonation.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thanks for listening. And
2: now, an ad from Dad. All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home
1: and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's what man. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff.
0: Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.
2: Hey, you with the rhinestone dog collar. Between us dogs, I just convinced my human to upgrade to a new home with a 1,200-square-foot bathroom. I think she called it a yard. With Wells Fargo's 3% down payment on a fixed-rate loan, My human realized a new home was within reach. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash woof.
0: Wells Fargo Home Mortgage. Down payments as low as 3% on a fixed-rate loan require mortgage insurance. Ask a home mortgage consultant about loan requirements.
1: Wells Fargo Home Mortgage is a division of Wells Fargo Bank N.A., Equal Housing Lender, NMLSR ID 399801.